Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to the Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And today we are going to go through bunion procedures. I think from the standpoint of how we make that decision for which particular bunion surgery we're going to do, because there's like 14 different ways we can fix these. 14 popular ways of fixing. I mean, probably another. There's a hundred. Last <laughs> I, I was reading this article, and there was like 120 ways, That's and nuts. the guy uh, they had. Like depictions of all the things. I thought it was amazing, but I'm sure. So, so there's probably ten to twelve that are that are still used today because of their ease and their effectiveness yeah. for that particular. But but it comes down to you. You've got to pick the right procedure for the right deformity. And I'll be honest with you, and you know this as well as I do, that you know there are guys doing bunion surgery, both orthopedic and podiatric, who've been trained to do it basically one or two ways. And when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. They're and, stuck doing that one procedure yeah, every you, single time. And you can't do that when every one of these is subtly different. And so that's where I think being able to efficiently have a protocol, have some sort of decision tree for how you're going to fix each bunion is really, really important. Now, you may only do three or four, but even three or four different bunion surgeries is going to give you a variety and uh, that you're going to be able to pick the right one for the right patient. Yeah. So all bunions typically present classically with a big bump on the big side of your big toe joint, the medial side of your big toe joint. They may have some aches and pains. One foot might be worse than the other, but they all typically present in a similar fashion. Bunion is not a bony growth. Mm -hmm. I know we talked about this before, but just in case you haven't seen the other episodes, a bunion is an angulation of your first metatarsal as it deviates immediately, um, causing a subluxation of your first metatarsal phalangeal so, joint. So a subluxation meaning a, a partial dislocation of the joint. Yeah. And the first metatarsal and the second metatarsal are, are spreading out. Yeah. And it's a joint positional problem and a architectural support problem. Yeah. 
the pain usually arises once the joint is gone far enough that the bone is wearing on half cartilage, half bone. Mm-hmm. You start getting the aches and pains, the swelling. Sometimes if it's hypermobile, and we'll talk about what hypermobility is. If it's hypermobile, you might get some jamming in that joint. Sometimes you might get some spurs and eventually lead to a pretty arthritic joint. So we try to catch this early because if you're walking on this every day, it's pretty painful. Well, and, and the cartilage that you're born with, the hyaline cartilage that you're born with, once you've worn that away, it ain't coming back. Yeah. If we can get fibrocartilage, which isn't quite as pliable, it's not quite as resistant to uh, forces to grow into areas of cartilage loss, that can be beneficial, but it's it's not as good as the stuff you were born with. Yeah. So trying to prevent complete loss of the joint space by realigning this joint before you start to destroy the cartilage, I think it's really important. Otherwise, you end up really sort of boxing us into a corner with how yeah. to treat it. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can categorize the severity. Typically, what we're looking at is more angles and how it affects the other toes. Right. Because sometimes you might have a mild bunion, you know, and it's not too bad. And we'll do some and we'll go through what procedures we do for mild bunions. And then as it progresses, you're not only fixing the bunion anymore. You're fixing the hammer toe deformities and the crossovers. Uh, And you're doing a lot more aggressive surgery as the bunion gets worse. So that's why I tell patients, catch it while it's not too bad. Well, and we have entire days in, at our national surgical meetings dedicated yeah. to how you fix the crossover second toe. Because yeah. it's that hard to do. It is an extremely unstable joint that requires a significant amount of work to get that thing to be back in the ballpark. And even when you do it right and you do it well, they can still be unstable. It's, it's just Once you've destroyed all of that architecture to, that holds that toe in place, they're hard to fix. You want to get these taken care of long before you end up with uh, twinkle toes there on the right. Yeah, it's all musculoskeletal once we get down to it. We're not doing too much bony work uh, as far as the balancing part. Yeah, we may angulate it. We may shift it over. But that second toe, it's like balancing a stick with using rubber bands, you know. It's hard. It, you, you cut one or lengthen one. It, it's just wobbling over. And then once it starts moving, once you start walking on it, then there's a chance of it tipping over again. So, yeah, definitely those want are, to catch those it are tough. Sometimes, and honestly, we, we offer the amputation for some folks because yeah, I've had they're in their 80s. They're like, I just want this toe gone. It, it's so much harder to fix the position and it requires so much more surgery, so much more dissection that sometimes just amputating that second toe is the best thing you can do for the patient. So we do our evaluation and now we're like, all right, let's see what's going on. Let's get some imaging. What we're looking at, uh, so you can kind of see a normal foot right here, the angulation might be, you know, six, seven, eight degrees from the first to the second, that's your your IM angle, compared to when you have a bunion, it drifts over more and more. That first metatarsal literally is subluxing on this first metatarsal and, and look joint. at the first met cuneiform joint. So if we look at that, can you highlight that on the left compared to the right? That's an atavistic joint, meaning look at the angle of that joint. The, the joint itself is pushing that first metatarsal out into left field there. Yeah. People don't realize that these bunions are just going to progressively get worse. They think it's going to get to one point, it's going to stop. Wrong. Those bunions get worse and worse and worse for the simple reason that there's tendons and ligaments that are tracking all the way to the tip of your toe. And those two tendons, I mean, those tendons are pulling backwards. So if you have a little angle, right, on that joint and it's pulling and you're putting pressure on it, it's like taking two pens, you push them against one another. The more angle you have, the more faster it deviates. And that's why people are like, you know, when I was younger, it wasn't that bad. Over the last five, six years, it just got progressively worse yeah. and worse and worse. And that and that's the extensor and flexor tendons that are that are literally 
exacerbating this whole problem, pulling yeah. it over. It's like the reins on a horse. Yeah. You know, it's you, you're out of alignment. Now suddenly it's becoming a deforming force. So conservative therapy, <laughs> I put this in here somewhat just, as a joke. Just because, for completeness sake, but yeah. yeah, unless you're destined to wear that brace on the left for the rest of your life, day and night, th these just don't do the trick. It's a bony deformity. There's no soft tissue splints or um, whatever these devices are um, that are going to help slow down the progression. Yes, they may stretch the capsule on the lateral side of that first metatarsal phalangeal joint. Yes, it may prevent these toes from abutting, but what typically happens, they, these, this person has a normal foot, they don't have a bunion. What typically happens when you have a bunion, you put the spacer in there, yes, you'll get that cushion, but now the second toe is being pushed over and yeah. that's how you get a, a plantar plate rupture or a right. sublux second toe. They're not ideal, but yeah. We'll use them after surgery in some cases, as where like maybe a, there's a soft tissue contracture that's yeah. still a problem, but as a, as a primary treatment, they're just pretty worthless. Other things that we may look into is if the first ray is hypermobile. So it's really difficult to kind of show on, in picture form. I put this diagram in there. What happens is um, when you have a first ray that's hypermobile, you really have to bring that big toe down to get that functional mobility. When you have a hypermobile first ray, that joint, that first metatarsal phalangeal joint, uh, phalangeal, first metatarsal cuneiform joint, that's the atavastic joint it's not stable and that's where your deviation point the apex of the deformity is and, and it, it'll flop around I mean, oh yeah you'll literally i sent you a video you didn't get it in here no i didn't, I didn't realize you sent me a video <laughs> i sent you a video I, I sent you a video of i i had a patient uh yesterday afternoon that had a classic example i mean just flops around like crazy she's gonna need a lapidus for sure yeah and that's when even if the bunion deformity isn't severe if you have a hypermobile first ray that's when we talk about going back and fixing it at the apex of the deformity, where the deformity is. Because if you do a distal uh, osteotomy, and we'll go through all of them, if you do a distal osteotomy, the chance of that returning is much higher because that joint is still uh, unstable. It still wants to fall over. So there are some patients that will have, you know, bunion surgery back like 15, 20 years ago, and they come see me, and I'll be like, oh, looks like you have a little bit of a bunion forming. Let's get some pictures. And I see the screws and stuff in there, the wires, whatever they used. And I'm like, oh, did you have bunion surgery? Like, yeah. And I was like, well, this is where the difference is. This is going to be a more permanent procedure, less likely for that bunion to return. I think in like the literature it says like two to five percent of returns when you have a hypermobile first ray. I offer patients, you know, the two options. But but if you're going to do the distal osteotomy, you have to use custom orthotics to yeah. lock up that first metatarsal cuneiform. That's so your insurance you policy. Fuse it. And you go in the cast and, you, and you're in cast for six weeks yeah. and, and you're off of it for six weeks. Or we can fix it up up you know, in the forefoot and avoid the cast and avoid the non-weight bearing requirement. But then you've got you've to be in orthotics or something to be able to lock up that first met uniform joint. So this picture here, this is kind of the modifications that we talk about for that orthotic. We'll do the first ray cutout. I mean, right. this is typically what I see as a first ray cutout. This one, more of like a dancer's pad, same thing kind of here. First rate cut, I really want that first metatarsal to drop down mm -hmm. to bring that first metatarsal down so it's not pushed out immediately. So you're raising two through five and you're letting the first met sit lower, which improves yeah. the range of motion. You're, yep. Yeah, there you're bringing you it to a functional range. If if you saw our hallux limitus lecture, we talked about functional hallux limitus. This is also gets into what bunions, um, pains, and aches can be caused by. Your toe has great range of motion when you're off weight bearing, you're sitting there. 
you put what 10 pounds of pressure just a little bit of ground force on there and that toe locks up and that's that hypermobile first ray and so that's it, what it we ends do up leading to jamming yeah which can lead to early breakdown and certainly leads to joint pain yeah so when patients are saying well doc when do i need to get this fixed i usually say look once you start having internal joint pain in the great toe joint or you start to see it deform your other toes it's time to get it fixed yeah so the last option is injections and i always tell patients look this will help alleviate some of the symptoms this is not going to fix the bunion this is not a permanent solution some patients are just like you know i just i don't want to do surgery right now can i push it off to the summer i have time off then can i push it off to winter break i'm a teacher i got you know whatever etc I'll be like, all right, fine. If you're having the joint pain, we can do a steroid shot. Let's bring the inflammation down and let's get you comfortable. And then we'll do the orthotics and things to kind of get them comfortable in the meantime. But this is not a fix. Injections are great. But it's a double-edged sword. If you do too many, then you also kind of worry about causing cartilage damage. So um, Cartilage damage, fat pad atrophy, skin atrophy, yeah, all, all of the above. <clears throat> so the most classic bunionectomy that most people do, your Austin bunionectomy, Classically, it was done like this, small cut, V-shaped, and you shift it over, right? You shift that little fragment over uh, towards the second metatarsal, and you fix it with one or two small screws. Now more commonly done with a long arm or a Kalish modification of the um, uh, bunionectomy. And this is how I typically do it. Two screws, mm -hmm. uh, works great, real stable. Uh, the benefit of doing the chevron type cut like this is that every time they put pressure on it, it actually impacts that bone, causing it to you know heal faster. You know, bone on bone, the more compression across that uh, osteomyelitis. It's just more stable. Yeah. Yeah. This is what you do, I'm guessing, two screws. Yeah. Kind of go back and forth. It depends on the anatomy. If they're a real little oh, yes. little patient, I usually I'd say eighty percent of the time I'm yeah. doing two screws, not yeah. every single time. Right. If they're smaller or you know frail. And I almost always do a, uh, an aching with these. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Here, I got that coming there up. You go. So first, uh, a couple other pictures. This was the uh, the downside of doing the traditional. Uh, see, that Austin. one, I think that needed a lapidus. Yeah. You and can look at the, the joint angle. You just, how do you fight that? Yeah. It's just so hard to do that with a forefoot. And yeah. you'll see in a lot of these pictures, you know, uh, that gapping on the inside. That's what we try to avoid. When you do mm -hmm. that chevron cut, you have great bone to bone. If you do. Um, yeah, anything, the one below is beautiful. Yeah, this one's great. Yeah. This is. Beautiful. This is your classic awesome bunionectomy, compression, two threads across. That's what we're looking for. The screw isn't on an articular surface or on a weight-bearing surface. And I don't think they needed an Aiken. No, not in this yeah. case, of course. Here, good. you can see this is what an Aiken is called. Right. So an Aiken is a wedge-type osteotomy of your, mid uh, of your proximal phalanx mm -hmm. as an adjunct to help bring that first digit over uh, away from that second digit. And there's a multitude of ways of doing them. There's wedges, there's oblique cuts, there's different locations, and depending on the bunion deformity, we'll do them differently. And that bottom left with the yellow, you've got your angles drawn in there, That that's a patient I would probably fuse that joint. Yeah. Because that, that's a joint issue. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I don't know that you could fix that with an Aiken. You'd have to do a pretty hard Aiken on that. You'd end up turning the toe into a Z, <laughs> so I don't know. So typically, we'll do that wedge. It's a closing wedge, so you cut a small wedge out, you leave that lateral side as a hinge and you'll have that tip over depending on the fixation technique you might do it oblique you might do it against the base i typically do it right here just like this and i'll do a staple across there sometimes i'll put the apex here to soft tissue here is just kind of more rotund mm -hmm. um that uh, the hinge works beautifully 
here you can see the different fixation methods that people typically use. We got K wires, we got screws, we got staples. And here they just use suture. You can use uh, right here. They use fiber wire. Uh, it all works. Monofilament wire. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a simple procedure. It's fairly stable, and those heal up great. Yeah. I mean, patients, that, when you have bone healing problems, it's not from the aching. Yeah. Patients who are in a surgical shoe. Uh, won't have any problems with these. These are so these all would allow you to weight bear the patient after the surgery, yes. which is nice in a post op shoe for four to six weeks. Doesn't require a cast, doesn't require crutches or a knee scooter. That's the advantage. But if you try to do that correction on that 19 and 20 degree IM angle, yeah, that's really hard. And I don't know that it works very well. That is one of that's true. That's one of the selling points of doing the distal osteotomy. And that's why a lot of docs do them because sure. they can weight bear them right after surgery. When we go back further, it's like your, your seesaw effect, right? If you do the osteotomy here, less chance of causing problems. When we do the osteotomy here, the hinge effect can cause that osteotomy to displace or... Uh, it's, a it's a lever arm. Yeah. It's the old physics lever arm. The longer the lever arm, the more force you're applying. Yeah. So. so here's what's called a Young's wick. It's a modification of the Austin bunionectomy. The purpose of this procedure is to decompress that joint Typically in patients when they have that real bad joint pain and sometimes they'll get that spurring on top. Uh, here you can kind of see the spurring kind of flaring out on both sides of that joint. So that's really more hallux rigidus than it is a bunion. Yeah. Sometimes they'll have a little bit of a bunion deformity, yeah. but more commonly they're talking about that joint pain. Um, you can shift these over slightly. I do sometimes, most of the time I do. I'll shift them over like two, three millimeters, maybe pushing it to like half a centimeter um, just in case they have a mild uh, IM deformity. Simple, effective. You put one or two screws in there. They heal up beautifully. And my, mine actually is more of a chevron with the two millimeter sh dorsal shelf. Yeah. Which allows you to drop the metatarsal three to four millimeters. Yeah. So, so you're saying that the bottom arm is longer, right? No, the, 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 it's more of a V. It's a more acute angle. So oh, I, 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 see yeah, I use an osteotomy guide that lets me do that. Because when you do this, it's more like a Reverdin. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to get as much dors uh, plantar flexion with that. So what we're talking about is we're trying to drop the metatarsal head. Yeah. By dropping the metatarsal head, you can improve the range of motion overall. And if you do a Young's wick where you're you're taking that wedge and you're taking a two millimeter shelf out of the top arm of that of that V, it's going then you can you and you, you you lose a millimeter with each bone cut. So theoretically, you can drop it four millimeters. Yeah. Yeah. And the purpose here is to get rid of all the arthritic pains. As far as the um, chylectomy component of these, I do them a lot, a lot more aggressive than Yes, these. I do too. I yeah. mean, quite no, a no reason more. not to. Yeah. yeah. There was um, a good lecture by Dr. Chang, I believe. Tom uh, Chang? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he did, he was like, he's like, I take, I leave maybe one third articular cartilage <laughs> on both sides. And I was like, that's a little aggressive. But when I started doing that. Yeah, it makes they, a difference. Patients, I mean, no pain afterwards. Sometimes, you know, the jamming can start slight coming back uh, in patients that you don't do them aggressive at. And then you have that second thought. You're like, oh, maybe I should be more aggressive. So I've been edging my way to be more and more aggressive. And they do beautifully. I mean, I've had no patients have any complaints the more aggressive I've been. Scarf. So a scarf osteotomy. This is kind of the middle ground between a Austin and a Lapidus. It's a mid-chef osteotomy. I don't really do these too much. They're not my preferred techniques. Yeah. I feel like you're overcomplicating the simple. But there are people that swear by them. And they have their, you know, their pros and their cons. The benefit of the scarf osteotomy is that you have such large real estate to fixate. You can shift the bone over. If you want to slide it over or angulate it over, you have tons of real estate. 
you can do these cuts with wedges where you remove portions and you can decompress or angulate. And it, I mean, they all work. Fixation is super straightforward. Uh, one or two small screws. Here you can see the person also got another Aiken and, and they heal up well. The bone recontours over time, just like with any other osteotomy. And yeah, and they do well. I agree with your assessment of, of that. You can clearly do some pretty significant IM angles with that, but you haven't addressed the, the hypermobility. Yeah. And I can almost guarantee you that that patient with those x-rays and that atavistic joint flops around like a fish. And that whole first ray is so un in, unstable. So that that's the downside, I think, is you're missing the opportunity to stabilize the first ray by, by fusing that joint. And, and you can make it look good. I mean, the x-rays look a little funky, but I mean, I think that cl clinically that patient's probably really happy with it. Yeah. The Mao and the Ludoff, less popular osteotomies just for their inherent instability. Mm -hmm. There are people that still do these and it works great in their hands probably going to slowly fade out uh, out of fashion. They're just inherently unstable. It's like you're trying to I don't to think those are being taught in residencies anymore. So, uh, <laughs> not my residency, but I yeah. I um when I was working um at Stony Brook, there were a couple docs doing that and there were young docs. They're orthos. It is what it is. It works great. It works, you know, just like any other osteotomy. You fixate them, they do well, but if you can imagine uh, if this is the weight-bearing surface and you're pushing up on that joint, the same thing here, if you're pushing up that joint, that... There's no inherent stability of the osteotomy. Yeah. Zero. The wedge, the scarfing, yeah. the, the modifications. If you do any woodworking, you wonder why they do all those scarf joints and all those um, sharp corners and stuff. And You understand why. Yeah, now you yeah. understand why. Inherent stability. Yeah. Right. So they work well, uh, if done right, but more often than not, uh, I'd prefer doing something else. Closing base wedge. This is a very popular one. So closing base wedge, you're going back uh, further back where the apex of the deformity is. You're not violating the joint. This is back just distal to the uh, the articular surface. And you do a closing osteotomy. So you do a cut across the joint in a, a wedge type manner and you have to tip it over. The benefit of this was that you use that medial hinge to bring it up and down if they had to bring it up um, uh, in the sagittal plane, you know, if the first metatarsal was being uh, elevated or, or or first met primus elevatus, whatever you want to call it, you were able to kind of bring that down and uh, fix it that way. And a lot of uh, docs before lapidus was popular, this was the go-to when you had a large IM deformity. I would say, yeah, again, that it would come down to whether or not there was significant hypermobility of the first right. Yeah. If there was, I would I wouldn't do a base wedge. I'd do lapidus because mm -hmm. you want to lock that up. One of the downsides of doing a closing base wedge was that you typically shorten it, you decompress the joint, but if you have a long second metatarsal, like in this case, I probably wouldn't have done a closing um, wedge osteotomy. Not yeah. to say that this patient uh, had any complaints afterwards, <coughs> I don't know who this is, but if you look afterwards, that second metatarsal- It's pretty short. Yeah. Yeah, that that you could do a lapidus and just use a, use a bone graft. Yeah, that's what and, I typically and keep do. keep the length, yep. Mm -hmm. That is an awful video. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The opposite of a closing wedge, we have a opening base wedge. And this was kind of a trick I kind of picked up reading one of these articles, how you decide a closing base wedge versus an opening base wedge. Not that I do either, but I thought it was interesting just for educational purposes. You look at the apex or the point of contact when you're doing these opening base wedge versus closing base wedge, that hinge point, and you're able to draw a circle around it, a full circumference. And you can see 
If they did an opening base wedge, that second metatarsal stays in good alignment with the first. You do a closing base wedge, you're going to end up shortening that. That's really, that was, that was yeah, pretty that's neat. Really cool. Right. And the new plates with the, the little block built into them where you can basically dial in your correction. Yeah, you can pretty much step it up. So, those, yeah, I think those are, uh, uh, I think, a valid option. And and really, your point is, is really well described there where you're not going to get the shortening, which is really yeah, and they work well. I, like I said, I don't do them, um, but there are people that do them that swear by them. They love them. And as long as it works in your hands, by all means, I, I typically if, do Austin's, Aikens, and Lapidus. And if you're going to get that result, I mean, the, the left to the right foot, the, the, clearly the patient had an, had somebody do maybe a bumpectomy and an Aiken, and oh, that didn't one? do well. Yeah. yeah. You can see the joints just practically dislocated. So that wasn't going to work. And now this is a redo of that work. And they were able to accomplish quite a bit with that opening wedge. That's really nice. Yeah. Lapidus, one of my favorite procedures. So a lapidus, you're going back to the apex of that deformity where that joint is inherently unstable or first rate instability or hypermobility. I think instability is the new term that they're using now, whatever it might be. You're going back and you're shifting it at that point. You're literally going back rather than trying to uh, MacGyver that, that toe over, you're physically going back to where it's shifted. You're fixating it with usually crossing screws, uh, plates. The hardware is a little bit more intense when you come back further. Uh, as you can tell when we're doing our distal osteotomies, the Aikens and Austins, we're using one or two small screws. Here we're using a lot more aggressive. I think even baseline, we're using two crossing screws, which are a little heftier than your Austin screws. Right. There's now a bunch of jigs out, little osteotomy guides. Wedges, I like the wedges um, because then I can be aggressive. I can get that good cancellous bleeding bone and I put that little wedge in there and I don't have to worry about it shortening. One of the pros of using a lapis type of osteotomy is that first ray frontal plane rotation. I think that um, over the last years, we've been getting more and more aggressive maintaining that frontal plane rotation. And the frontal plane rotation is simply that as that bunion uh, deviates out, that first metatarsal also rotates if it's your right foot counterclockwise. It's something that if, if the sesamoids are hitting it right or hitting the crystal right, can be super painful. But when we do the bunionectomies, we do our releases and we try to address it other ways. This way, we don't even do a release or anything. Um, you can physically rotate that bone back just, over. Yeah, I just put a K-wire in it and joystick yeah. it over. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like lapidus quite a bit. It's, um, it's a very simple, very functional procedure. The only downside, and like we said before, is that you have to stay off of your foot for quite a bit. I typically have them off for about six weeks. Yeah, and, There's and, people and that are doing it a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, we have we have guys in our specialty that clearly weight bear people far sooner than that. And, and that's fine. It's really surgeon's choice. Yeah. But, um, and they get good results, you know, keeping them off of it for five to seven days. But I think in our population, a little older population, your bone stock's not quite as good. I, I think you got to play the odds and keeping them immobilized and off of it for a little bit longer is probably smart. An extra two, three weeks of non-weight bearing in the long scheme of things is yeah. next Just to nothing. Because when these heal right the first time, yeah. you're so much better off. Yeah. When they don't heal right the first time and now you're using a bone stem or God forbid you have to go back in and put bone graft and yeah, it's a big pain. So yeah, doing it right the first time is, is worth it. There's a lot of different fixation methods. I'm still big fan of the crossing screws, but now I've been, you know, using more and more plates. I still do that home run screw mm -hmm. uh, down the line. The home run screw is this screw right here from the um, one third or distal mid shaft. 
down towards that base of that cuneiform. Yeah, that's giving you your, your initial compression. Uh, the plating systems have gotten a lot fancier. They have anatomic plates. Here you can kind of see that they have two plates here. And this is um, another way of doing them. Now they have plantar plates, uh, which is even better because any uh, shift in that bone causes compression across the osteotomy site. There's, uh, there's a lot of different um, fixation methods for these. They all work. And, the, and I think it's one of the advantages of the newer plates is that they're locking plates. So the yes. screw is locking into the plate. You're getting tremendous stability. And that's, you know, within the last 10 to 15 years, I guess. Do you feel like you do Aikens with Labidus quite a bit? I, I do almost every time. And when I didn't, uh, you'd, you'd have the toes abutting each other. Yeah. And clinically, it's probably not that big a deal, but patients hate it. Yeah. So they it's, really, like, really want to like see the my toes. toes are still touching. Yeah. I feel like I don't do as aggressive an Aiken. No, probably just it's, yeah, two degrees, three yeah. degrees maybe at the most. So, but I, I do them almost every time now because when I don't, I look at it six weeks later and I'm like, should have done it. There's <laughs> just enough of an angle there because the toe is sort of, it's, it's re reacted to that position for so long. You've got contractors that yeah. you, you, know, you, you need to address. And I think you can go in and clean up the first uh, phalangeal joint <clears throat> if you need to. But cl clearly, just doing a quick little aching is enough to get the toe back in, in alignment. Very powerful procedure. You want to make sure you don't cause it an elevated position. So yes. that's really important. You know, I think one of the big problems with this is is you can leave the first metatarsal uh, sitting too high, and then, you, then you're guaranteed to get jamming. Yeah, you want to make sure that it's in line with at least the second. And so this C and D are a great pre and post-op showing they were able to drop that whole metatarsal. And one of the ways you can do that is just by taking the whole metatarsal and literally dropping it two degrees before you fixate it. Or yeah. Sorry, two millimeters before you fixate it. And that's typically what I do. But I like your wedge. The wedge en engages that that angle that you need to keep that um, first yeah. met where it's supposed to be. Yeah. It, when, if you end up doing these surgeries, young docs out there, simple trick. You get the, the top of the, uh, the tray, whatever instrument tray, you put their foot at 90, you put it against your body, and you get a good lateral x-ray. Mm -hmm. Simple, effective, it's a two-second thing you can do, and you can see if it's elevated or not elevated before you even start fixing. That's when you throw your crossing K-wires kind of getting you that for position. Your, for your uh, cannulated screw set. Yeah. yeah. And again, we're choosing this procedure primarily for severe bunion, severe yeah. 19, 20, 21 degree IM angle, or that, and or the one where that meta, the first ray just flops around like crazy. Yeah. Not a whole lot you can do once you see that. And you're going to do the patient a disservice if you don't offer that to them. But again, there are some folks that physically can't stay in a cast and often for bearing. six weeks. They're yeah. just, they're 350 pounds, whatever. And we have to compromise. When we compromise, we get them in a custom orthotics so that we can lock up that range, that uh, pathologic motion. Bringing it back around, the minimally invasive. Uh, this used to be very popular back in the day. They used to do them like this right here. You do your uh, small incision, uh, poke incision that you'd use the, the Shannon Burr. You literally go in, imagine a Dremel, right? A small Dremel. You literally <coughs> burn to the bone. You sh up, down through the bone. You shift it over or if you want to do a wedge, whatever you want to do. They shifted over. They'd run that K wire. I mean, I've done a couple of these the old school way. Mm -hmm. You run that K wire up the toe. You bring it back. Once it crosses that joint, whatever the osteotomy, excuse me, you run that K wire right back down the shaft and you fixate it. And they would do decent. I mean, 
The only downside of these minimally invasive surgeries, even with the near ones, is that there's such a high risk of non-unions compared to doing them, you know, open. They work well. The incision side, I mean, it's, it's tiny. I mean, compared to a regular bunion, um, regular bunion is what, like four centimeters, six centimeters largest. Mm, right. And these are one centimeter. Very popular in like the Cali population, I've noticed. Um, yeah, it's just not my thing. Not my thing either. I, I've done a couple. Not a fan. They just stresses me out too much. Here's what the newer uh, bunions look like. They have uh, different screw methods, different um, osteotomy guides. I mean, looking at that x-ray just stresses me out. And that's some significant shortening. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and the so. only thing, <laughs> the only thing holding this bunion is that a tiny little, that little two millimeter thing. Yeah. And then the screws yeah. and patients are walking on this afterwards. You right. know, right, right. that's one of the, the selling points. You can walk on it right after the right. same thing here. You can see the bone has grown in, but initially the bone was from here. So that articular surface was two, three millimeters. I'm not down talking them at any point because there are people that do them great. Just not my, my bag of tricks. Here, you can kind of see here the before and afters. Here's a, a small. <laughs> You've got Mike Tyson. Yeah, I mean, it's darts because blind. You're, <laughs> the, the thing with this is because you're doing this blind. You're yeah. doing a small incision and you have your C-arm. And you're going across there and you're, you're relying solely on feel, tactile feel, which is fine. A lot of surgery is uh, tactile feel and the imaging and then fixation here. I mean, I got crossing screws. This is probably the most popular method here. There's new plates and things that are out now. But yeah, like I said, they're not my forte. They're, they're not my go-to. If you're going to go to that extent, I don't know why you wouldn't open it up and just, you know, yeah. fixate it. But yeah. Last one we're going to be talking about today is the arthrodesis. These are for those bunions that have just gotten so bad uh, that the wear and tear and the cartilage has gotten so bad it's painful. Sometimes I'll do them in rheumatoid patients where I know if I do a bunionectomy, it will come back and or get worse. So you talk about your arthrodesis, your fusion of that joint. Real straightforward. Honestly, we go in, cure it out, all the articular surfaces. Now they have all those fancy cup and cone reamers. They all work well. And then you fix them. There's there's crossing screw methods and there's plates. I typically do the plates for these. But, I mean, I'm not doing too many arthrodesis for bunions or hallux limitus or arthritis. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the hemi implants. But there are some yeah. bunion deformities that are so extreme and are so rigid yeah. that you really don't have a choice. And you this is the best way to eliminate that deformity and allow them to get on with their life. But um, And there's some young athletes that'll have, um, you know, first MPGA fusions. I have patients that have gone back to running, no restrictions. They'll have, you know, custom orthotics and things to help keep it, you know, protected. But yeah, uh, honestly, you won't notice much of a difference. Yes, you won't be able to get into high-heeled shoes if it's like more than like four inches or something like that. But vast majority of these... They can still play tennis. They can still play golf. They can still do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. not the worst thing in the world, but with, you know, with hemi implants, if the deformity is not completely, you know, a dislocated joint, yeah, I prefer to do the hemis where they have some range of motion. Yeah. We, we talked about that. The hemi. Yeah. That's in the Hallux Ridges lecture. Yeah. If you're, if you want to look at those, those things are great. I love those. But this was a really good, I think, overview of kind of our thought process for which procedure we're using for which type of bunion. And, and again, you know, if your surgeon only knows how to do it one way, you need to investigate that a little bit because I think, again, when everything looks like a, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, I think that can get you in trouble with bunion surgery. There's a lot more we can talk about bunions. Honestly, I mean, we can probably go on for a couple hours 
talking about the capsulography, the tendon balancings, the different procedures. If you guys want to hear that stuff, please let us know. We are here to... It's a little more esoteric, but... Yeah. yeah. You can do, you know, the, the, the Washington Monument or the inverted <laughs> T or, you know, there's there's so it's much... Like all I mean, the nuances of bunion surgery and bore yeah. you to tears, or we could give you the basics. Yeah. And whatever yeah. you guys want, let us know. We are here to help. I mean, that's pretty much it as far as bunions go. Very nice. Thank you, Dr. Hussein. Good job. All right, folks. We will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.